we didn't do that for our first campaign. Okay. So the second campaign we really spent paid marketing. If you actually go on our kick track and you look at our daily chart, you'll see we only spent, we kind of figured out paid marketing after halfway into the campaign. Mm. And then you'll see this hockey stick growth where we turn on paid marketing fully. So, you know, if we could do that campaign over again, we would have spent paid marketing from day number one. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2 x their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. This episode is brought to you by Remarketing. Remarketing is an email marketing platform specifically built for e-commerce businesses. With Remarketing, emails are automatically triggered by shopper behavior and purchase history. With a few simple clicks, Remarketing allows you to recover abandoned carts, win back inactive customers, make product recommendations, deliver newsletters, and a whole lot more. In other words, emails you will send through Remarketing will be highly targeted with glaring improvements on your open rates, click rates, and most importantly, conversions. You're also able to track revenue generated from every single email sent by Remarketing. Try Remarketing absolutely free for 30 days, no credit cards, and no contracts. To sweeten the deal, 2x e-commerce listeners can get Remarketing for 30% off an entire year using the coupon code PODCAST30. That is coupon code podcast three zero visit remarketing.com to learn more remarketing is email marketing for e-commerce simplified hello 2x's welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast show this is the podcast to tune into for inspiration and actionable tips for growing and scaling e-commerce businesses my guest on today's show are co-founders of a luxury direct-to-consumer fashion brand. They launched the business and raised capital through crowdfunding. They managed to raise over $180,000 on Indiegogo and then went on to Kickstarter to raise more capital and doubled, yes, doubled what they raised on Indiegogo by raising $360,000 just over a year ago. They are founders of Linja, a direct-to-consumer maker of minimalist leather bags without the luxury mock-up. They sell their bags for about a quarter the price that luxury brands will sell them for and are able to do this by selling direct-to-consumers, allowing them to cut out middlemen, store front cost, and excessive marketing spend. So if you're trying to figure out how to effectively use crowdfunding platforms such as Indiegogo and Kickstarter to launch a direct-to-consumer business or product that is set out to change an industry or maybe the world, then listen into this one. They take us through the exact steps they use to raise capital on Indiegogo as well as on Kickstarter and talk us through promotional tactics such as blogger press outreach and scaling awareness through the media. 
this episode is really not to be missed. Grab your pens and paper as I welcome Jennifer Chong and Roman Khan of Linger to the show. Hi guys, I'm super excited to have you both, Jen and Roman, um, because I've had a look at your business and it is... It's quite interesting because um, you guys come from a crowd crowdfunding um, background, roots. You have roots in crowdfunding, and you've been able to build pretty much a minimalistic leather bag fashion, you know, brand. I'm just super excited. I'm really, really excited. The the name lines uh, has Norwegian origins um could you shed a bit more light about um how you came about the name and the the brand either of you please yeah oh um yeah first of all we're super excited to be a part of this show too thank you so much for having us uh, yeah so that's an excellent question uh linear uh, as you say it in norwegian uh, i'm from norway i'm one of the co-founders there uh, means lines in uh, in english uh, and uh, it kind of represents our design aesthetic if you look at our bags and everything they uh, we we design it has clean lines going throughout, and uh, mm. we don't clutter these lines with logos. So you can't find logos on the outside of our packs, only on the inside, uh, and it very much reflects the design aesthetic of our of our little studio in Oslo. So it's quite minimal. You're from 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 Norway, Jen. That's Jen, right. where, where where are you from? Um, I'm from Hong Kong, but I grew up in Canada as well. Fantastic. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. It's it's good. So. I had a look at your profiles um, prior to, to the interview and I, I realized you guys come from corporate backgrounds. Could you, you know, kind of, um, you know, tell listeners about your journey, um, starting with you, Jen, um, from, from the corporate to, 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 to an entrepreneurial route or path? Sure. So um, after I graduated from university, uh, where I studied economics, um, I started working as a management consultant uh, as I wanted to just get some general business experience. And that's a great way to great way to acquire that. After a couple of years of working in the corporate world, um, I well, after a couple of years of dressing for the corporate world, I realized that I was missing I was missing a leather laptop bag that would really pull my outfit together. You know, it's really important to look professional when you're working in an industry such as management consulting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just couldn't find a a laptop bag that um, really helped me convey the professionalism that I wanted to. And the the problem there was that I couldn't find a high-quality leather bag that was less than like $2,000 and not covered in logos. Um, And Roman actually had problem is me. Um, and he, he can touch on that later on. But that was when I identified that need, that was really when I decided that I think there's an opportunity to make high quality leather products at a much lower price point and just make them accessible to more people. And so at that point decided to take the plunge into entrepreneurship. Okay. Do you have a design um, background by, by any chance or... I was not formally trained, but I've always had an interest in design. Um, so when I was really little, I my I loved playing with Lego, and then I was always build things with Lego. In university, I really enjoyed woodworking, mm-hmm. uh, and I enjoyed making jewelry as a teenager. Also, okay, very very interesting, very interesting. And and yourself, Roman, could you shed a bit more light on on your background and your path to to entrepreneurship, please? Yeah. So same story as Jen. Uh, after I graduated, I jumped into the world of finance, worked a couple of years in finance, uh, had the same issue. I couldn't find a laptop bag that, you know, 
didn't cost you know that you know all laptop bags cost more than the actual laptop it carries so uh, you know that was a problem a high quality one at least so I ran into the same issue looking for something and uh, after a couple of years in finance I worked at Rocket Internet it's this e-commerce incubator from Germany mm-hmm. and they clone Amazon they clone Zappos all around the world and uh, I was very lucky I was one of the first employees in Asia mm-hmm. so it's, uh, I kind of went through that journey until they went public and and saw e-commerce first time you know at a very mm-hmm. large scale we went from one order a day to a couple of hundred thousand orders a day <laughs> Okay. So I was uh, working on uh, supply chain and as a CFO for uh, the largest country in the region, which was Thailand mm-hmm. uh, at the time, which was really cool and kind of opened my eyes to e-commerce. And then when I met Jen, it kind of became this natural journey to starting Linear because we were both looking for high quality bags. Uh, we shared the same passion for the industry and we kind of took a leap of faith. Yeah, because I was just going to ask, how did you cross paths? Because you, you're a Norwegian, you happen to to be in Thailand, and Jen, Jen's Canadian. Um, so, so where did you guys actually meet? That's, uh, <laughs> that's a great question. Lucky story involving yeah. many countries. <laughs> I was, um, I was actually living in Dubai at the time, and Roman was in Hong Kong, just about to move to the Philippines for one yeah, of his was, stints at Rocket Internet. Yeah. Um, but Roman knew my sister. And they've been friends for, for a few years. Um, and she just, um, she introduced us and she, she saw a common thread, <laughs> like an interest in business and design uh, between the two of us and then just decided to connect us uh, when, when I was back home for holiday. Interesting. Yeah, we immediately hit it off. Uh, we want to, want to start a niche business, uh, both of us. Um, and yeah, the rest is story. Basically. Was it was it the problem first, or um, did you guys was it like a jinx moment where you're like, well, you know, I have a problem with bags, and you know, you guys just took it up from there, or was it more like, um, we need to build a business, and um, are you interested? That's a very yeah. Let me think. Yeah, it was probably we both talked very passionately about how easy it was to start a business nowadays, mm-hmm. and how we're both kind of corporate slaves and we want to get out of the get out of this you know vicious cycle of working very late hours yeah. and, and not benefiting from the upside of like actually owning or having ownership in the company yeah so that was you know definitely where where kind of you know where we kind of hit it off because we didn't start uh, start off talking about bags from okay. as our first conversation but then that naturally became a topic okay. you know we're talking about things and gaps in the market and and then bags was something that was repeatedly mentioned okay um freedom so so the core thing is freedom okay um i'm gonna i I have two questions but i'll start out with the first one which has got to do with um the idea so just real quick was it was this back in two you were founded in 2014 when did you sort of come up with the idea for 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 linear was it in um was in 2013 or yeah we started working on it in 2013 yeah um, and 2014 we we call our launch year um, yeah. because that's when we first put our products out to market and started selling. Okay. Yeah, so the, the way we actually did it was uh, we we bootstrapped our whole way. Uh, you know, we, we were bootstrap venture. We haven't taken on any external mm-hmm. capital and we spent less than 20,000 US building the business to what it is today. 20,000, uh, okay. All right. Yeah, 20,000, like yeah, a little bit less than that. Okay. Uh, and, and of course, uh, sacrificed income. Uh, sacrificed income. Yeah. Which you won't count uh, because that's kind of depressing. But yeah, so yeah, what we did is one of us worked at 
all time. So okay. uh, in the first year, uh, Jen quit her job, and I was still working at Rocket. That's kind of how we paid our bills. And during that year, Jen uh, flew out to the Paris Leather Fair, uh, met with suppliers uh, all over the world, basically, learning about the industry, identifying long-term partners, and setting everything up operationally. Okay. And then after a year of kind of R&D and sampling, we we had everything in place to launch our first collection. Okay. Uh, we just didn't have the money, and that's where crowdfunding came in place. Okay. Uh, okay. So we switched roles uh, a month before our Indiegogo launch, which mm-hmm. was our first campaign. And uh, Jen got a job in uh, San Francisco, and that's why we're temporary here. And I took over Linear uh, pre-launch. Okay. And just seven weeks ago, Jen quit her day job and joined me full-time, and now we're both wow. on it. Congrats. Wow, wow. So Thank you've, you. you've reached, you've reached a, a milestone here. Yeah. Okay, okay. Really, really interesting. And my second question had to do with design. Everything I see from you guys has minimalism in it, and there's a deliberate... The, 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 there's something deliberate about every image. It's well thought through... It's very visual, very stylish, very minimal. Does that come from one of you or does that come from both of you? Yeah, it's definitely both of us. Um, So I personally do most of the product designing myself, but it's with a lot of input from Roman. Mm -hmm. And on the art direction and just visual storytelling, I mean, and storytelling in general of our brand, that's, that's that's both of us. Which is very strong, by the way. Very, very strong. Thank you. Yeah, so I came across uh, I was searching and I came across your product hunt so product hunt guys um, who are listening producthunt.com it's a discovery it's a discovery website um, for really cool stuff and you guys were basically t- the, your page was titled linear the Warby Parker of luxury leather well it looks like you're, you're, you're a luxury brand at an affordable price exactly what you know Warby Parker is, is all about they're really trying to disrupt the market could you shed some more light on this? Did you set it up yourself? And do you do you view yourself as a Warby Parker in bags, and in, in especially for, for, for corporates, for corporate people? That's a great question. Yeah, so um, it's interesting with Product Hunt. Uh, we didn't actually nominate ourselves to be on Product Hunt. Okay. Uh, There's some um, entrepreneur based out of New York who discovered us mm. uh, somehow uh, when we were running our latest Kickstarter campaign and then posted about us in uh, on Product Hunt. Mm-hmm. And she framed it as the the Warby Parker for luxury leather bags. Uh, we have enormous respect for Warby Parker. They kind of paved the way for direct to consumer online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we would say we, in terms of quality, we're trying to be really in the top tier, you know, bracket, uh, so to say. And Warby Parker is probably a slightly more mass market. Mm. But you know, we're we're doing something very similar in some sense. All you know, our tannery is more than a hundred years old, so we're working with. You know, partners who, where our business model is a splash of cold water in their faces. You know, when you try mm-hmm. to explain to them that we sell stuff only online, we don't have a store, and that customers are willing to wait four months to to get their products delivered, mm-hmm. it kind of, I guess that's the, that must have been the similar story to what Dave and the guys at Warren Parker experienced when they when they entered the industry and talked to their partners. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we take it as a compliment uh, because they are clearly a direct-to-consumer leader within their vertical. Yeah. And that's the ambition we have, too, for for the leather goods industry. We really want to be number one 
in yeah. this segment. Yeah, um, I, I picked up on a comment on, online, and um, one of your your customers said um, your your products are actually significantly better than Dunhill and Ferragamo's, which in itself, you know, speaks volume, especially from a third party. Um, yeah, thank. You. Yeah, so so yeah, that's quite interesting. Let's talk a bit about your brand story. Heritage is quite important. The Scandinavian brand, I, I guess. Um, how important is, is your story? And could you sort of brief um, our listeners on, on how you put together your story and, and what it is, really, what it encompasses? The story, that's a, that's a really great question. The, the story has been, it's been a very personal one. So the narrative up to now has been about the hurdle uh, Jen and I faced and uh, how the market has a gap of, you know, there's a gap, there's clearly a gap in the market for the leather nerds, mm-hmm. which is basically full grain vegetable tan leather bags mm-hmm. for less than $500. And, and that's clearly a niche, but there were other people out there that felt the same way. You know, for us, the story was, you know, partially connecting with a community that felt the same way uh, and, uh, and talking about how we we're going to solve this problem. So our story is very much centered around how we were looking for a laptop bag and the search for that and how we tried to come up with a solution ourselves. It's also, you know, a part of that story, which we don't emphasize with these words, but it's, it is that anti-luxury movement where you kind of want, mm. we're seeking out like-minded people who don't need a flashy logo on the, on, on the bag to make a statement, mm. uh, you know, believe in the same ethos as, as we have, which is minimalism and the belief that high quality leather speaks for itself. Mm. So, so that's been very much the story uh, until now. And we see that we're, we're a big hit with early adopters. Mm-hmm. The question Jen and I kind of discuss or talk about every day is how do we go beyond early adopters? You know, we've had a fantastic first year with almost a million dollars in revenue. And uh, yeah, how do we go beyond that? And, and going beyond that would, uh, would involve us not changing the narrative, staying true to it, but also adding some kind of an emotion and building a, a scalable brand. Um, you've touched on, on a lot of things. Um, one's the anti-luxury, which I absolutely love. But And then the second is, what? how do you scale? What, what are the plans ahead from a scalability standpoint? Are you looking at, you've, you've got the press. I'm going to talk about that later. Um, you're, you're building the awareness, but um, how are you going to get into you know, um, consumers beyond early adopters. That, so maybe if we take, take a quick recap of our first year, it was mm-hmm. very much, you know, word of mouth, community-based, hustling, you know, doing growth hacks, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like inspired by what we saw at Tim Ferriss' blog and, mm-hmm. and, you know, all these like guides you have out there reaching out to blogs. Next year, we see ourselves having a heavier reliance on paid marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of it is going to be uh, traditional channels as, uh, you know, like Facebook, uh, with Instagram ads opening up in uh, Pinterest. So paid marketing is going to be a large portion of how we're going to get eyeballs uh, on our brand. Uh, the second part is creating a visual identity that goes with the brand ethos. So, you know, uh, upgrading the looks of our photos uh, and creating something very distinct that kind of fuels our outreach to press and uh, bloggers. That sounds about right, um especially with regards to, to paid media, because that's scalable, really, and measurable at the same time. Yeah. 
especially when it's it's backed up with um, with the visuals with with, with, with with proper visuals and um, now with video with, with shots you know form video I can see it you know having legs and you've had the proof of concept from um, from crowdfunding anyway and from your existing customers and in year one which is which is brilliant okay right so, so where where are your bags made are, are they handcrafted in your studios how, how do you make your bags and where um, our bags are manufactured in China okay. Uh, and we're actually using the same supply chain as many of the, as most of the top luxury brands. Um, so China that, has some of the best factories. I know that China sometimes gets a bad, it gets a bad rap, but there are really good factories there. Mm-hmm. And um, it took us a long time to find the right partner for us, uh, but we're super happy with them, and um, it's been it's been great to to work with them throughout this journey. That's interesting. You you mentioned that you 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 were in the Paris. Um leather sh- show um, or exhibition earlier so do you source the leathers from from europe and then have them manufactured in china yep that's exactly right okay. that's exactly right okay. yeah actually it's it's funny the the supply chain for most luxury brands uh, is set up that way i mean the the luxury handbag industry is pretty crazy we're talking about a 50 billion dollar market mm-hmm. so we're talking about you know millions of bags not thousands being yep. produced every year and it's it is. It's given that there's not enough Italian artisans producing millions of bags every year. And and the great thing with China is that things are scalable. Uh, we have exactly. uh, the best of both worlds. We get leather from Europe, uh, but we have you know excellent craftsmanship in China. Um, the industry's been there for the past 15, 20 years actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the so big- we're really really happy. Yeah, the biggest minimal brand, Apple. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> has a design, you know, in California, as they, you know, they, they claim, and um, everything else is done in China and brought back to to, to sell back to, to in China and the rest of the world. So, so yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about crowdfunding. Very, very excited um, to to have you guys on, um, especially given the fact that your business pretty much launched through crowdfunding. There were numerous options available at the time, you know, for for startup entrepreneurs like yourself. Why did you sort of, um, you know, finally choose crowdfunding as an option to to kickstart and, you know, launch a business? Yep. So for our first production run was going to cost tens of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. We estimated $70,000 to meet all of the minimum order requirements of Mm -hmm. all of our suppliers. Um, And we did not have $70,000 to put into production, nor did we want to be the ones taking bets into what designs would sell and what colors would sell and putting, parking all of our money into inventory when we didn't even know if people wanted to buy our stuff. Mm. We just, we didn't want, so faced with this need to somehow come up with $70,000, we thought, okay, we could raise money from investors or we could crowdfund. Mm. And with investors, we didn't want to take that route because for us, we wanted linear to. We wanted to build linear as a brand that we could be proud of, okay. uh, and we wanted to put quality at the forefront. And what we've seen in other brands, uh, other consumer brands in the fashion space, is that you know when, once you start raising money, suddenly your incentives are your are more like your investors' incentives, where it's yeah. they're trying to cash out. They want your valuation to continually grow and that's and then it's you're suddenly playing a different game you're not playing necessarily like a uh, you're not playing like a 20-year game where you're trying to build a brand but you're trying to maximize revenue growth every single month so we we really shied away from that because we wanted to make sure that we had control over our brand and over the quality over the quality yeah it was it was it was really a it was really a question of speed versus quality for us we're okay not going at a hundred miles an hour Mm -hmm. Uh, 
because quality is, is everything to us. We want our products to be perfect when they go out the door to our customers. It's not like we're launching a tech product and we can just push a new up, update. You know, it's uh, it's mm-hmm. very complex making a physical product. Yeah. Uh, so so that was that was a, one of the main drivers, as Jen said, was yeah. one find out what sells. Don't take any risky bets. You know, when you don't know if people want it. And uh, number two is uh, is is the is the quality play over versus investors. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, guys. Because um. Also, that essence of, of the brand, um, that the longer you have it, the, the more you know, you know, what it is in the long haul and, you know, when or if investments ever come, you know, they, they see something mature, you know, exactly. and, and um, quite established. Okay, just just an offside question, um, just a side question. One, are your sort of lines, are they timeless um, in a sense or would, do you release some... Um, things in season uh, are they quite seasonal or are they kind of timeless um you know designed yeah i mean we when we design our products we want them to be timeless that's okay. that's like the intention mm-hmm. we don't want we want uh, as many say f- slow fashion yeah. we don't you know when you when you purchase a product of ours we want it to last you for years to come I like that. Uh, so that kind of makes them timeless uh that being said you know we will have Limited runs of selected colors for existing styles over mm. coming seasons, because you know we see a lot of inbound requests from customers. Mm. There's going to be some seasonality to it, but that's not how we think about our assortment when we mm. design and produce them. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, let's let's get into this. Um, your crowdfund. You manage uh, from what I can see online. I'm um, 182 thousand dollars from Indiegogo. And approximately 330 when I did the, the calculations and um, when I did my currency conversions, if it was yeah. accurate, 330,000 from Kickstarter. Um, could, you, right. could you talk us through the process? Which you, you, you mentioned earlier you did Indiegogo first and then went on to Kickstarter. Could you just shed some more light as to um, how you sort of built out the campaign and you know, how you saw success, basically, on the crowdfunding platforms? Sure, sure. So, yeah, Indiegogo was our first campaign. Um, I think at the time of closing the campaign, mm-hmm. we're at 150,000 US. Okay. Uh, and then the remaining 33,000 US has come after because Indiegogo allows you to continue to sell on their platform after the end. Okay. And then the Kickstarter actually ended at 360,000 US. Wow. But because of that, but the Norwegian kroner has fallen <laughs> quite significantly ever since. I see. Yeah. Oil prices, I suppose. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So we've done, you know, close to half a million or half of our sales our first year <laughs> was on uh, was through crowdfunding platforms. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, so the first campaign within the GoGo, that was kind of that was the campaign where we were really. I would, if I could use one word to describe it, it would be hustling. Wow. Uh, we did a lot. Of, we were new to the game, everything from content production, being the video and the photography and the copy to the actual marketing, you know, getting the pre-launch email list together mm-hmm. to marketing throughout the campaign. And in our toolkit, we didn't have paid marketing. We didn't even consider it as, a, as an option. Wow. So what we did is prior to the launch, we, uh, we, we found communities online. We kind of told them that, you know, we're going to launch soon. Um, and then we reached out to friends and family that we thought were within our target demographic, mm-hmm. uh, told them to tell their friends about it, you know, email their office, uh, email list, etc. So, you know, think of all these unscalable things to create something scalable. Yeah. <laughs> That's what basically we did. We also reached out to um, bloggers. Uh, to bloggers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which was a huge pain. We, we reached out to 400 
Wow. And uh, I think at the end of them, at the end of it, 30 of them covered us. Okay. And of those 30, only three or four really made up made up 80% of that revenue, you know? So, Wait, three, three bloggers made up 30% of your Indiegogo, 150,000? No. Oh, of our blogger revenue. Of our blogger your, your revenue. Your blogger revenue, okay. Yeah, right. 80% of the blogger revenue. Okay, so okay. out of those, you know, three out of 30 was really the do, ones that do, kind of Do you mind sharing the three blogs that... that uh, sure, they're, they're, they're a bit... We want to keep that as a secret, but, okay, you know, quite, they're... Fair enough, fair enough. But the characteristics of those blogs are that they are not, you know, full-time bloggers, professional bloggers. I see. They do it because there's a shared passion for, for menswear or fashion. Okay. Um, so, so that's... Um, that's a that's a commonality we saw. Uh, and how long, how, go, go ahead, Jen, please. Oh, oh, so I was going to say, I think um, for us, these kinds of bloggers work best because we were re- really new to the game and mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of money to to spend on blog placements. Like a lot of bloggers, especially if you're looking at the female bloggers, they'll charge you hundreds of dollars it's or thousands paid. of dollars. Exactly, yeah. it's really yeah. paid. And all of us were all of the ones that covered us were free. They didn't even ask for a product, actually. Uh, they just really, really They took believed. a chance on yeah. us. Yeah. And they, they believed in what we were doing. Okay. I mean, they genuinely saw the gap too. Okay. So, and, and how long how long was did, did it run for, the, the Indiegogo campaign? Uh, it ran for 60 days, right? 60 so, days, okay. Yeah, so we did $150,000 over 60 days. The Kickstarter that did 360000 ran for 37 days. 37 days. So it was... Yeah, it was it was double and more than double in almost half the time. So it was it was really we, we learned a lot between the first launch and the Kickstarter launch. Okay, what were so what what was your target? Um, your your in, in Indiegogo and when did you sort of surpass that target? So the target that we listed was fifty thousand dollars, and wow. we reached that within forty eight hours. Yeah. Wow. Well. How did you feel? <laughs> in it was, was incredible. We couldn't sleep the first night because we launched. When did we launch the We campaign? launched it at 12.01. Like uh, midnight, <laughs> midnight San Francisco time. Okay. And uh, Jen was going to go into work the day after. And of course, like the first 10 minutes, we had like three, $4,000. Yeah. And it just kept ticking up. And then by the time we woke up, it was at 28,000. And then uh, by the time, just at 47 hours in, we hit 50,000. Okay. And that was that right. was really exhilarating. Okay. So did- that, was, that was a great great 48 hours did you put any work in in play um prior to, to prior to the 50,000 or was that more more or less organic from Indiegogo's traffic actually no. very little of it was organic none of it was um, organic usually when you launch a, a crowdfunding campaign you you really have to drive all the traffic and drive all of your sales okay. um, or your pledges or rewards for the first um for the first few days it's only after you kind of show really great momentum on either platform that you you might get highlighted yeah and and then you'll start to get traffic from from the platforms okay i'm on the page right now um Mm -hmm. stunning video good story great story there's there's also the asinas wall street journal um gq racked and um, int all really top you know top top tier press platforms um and, and stunning images so you had to put a lot of work to to get this out you know um very very interesting okay 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 uh, so what were your takeaways from indiegogo through to kickstarter that's a great uh, great question so number one make sure you have an email list so you want to have at least 
So whatever your goal is, let's say it's 50,000 US as us, mm -hmm. you want to make sure you can hit that within the first 24 hours of launch. Well. So whatever you do prior to launch, make sure you have uh, whatever number of customers you need lined up prior to launch and ready to pledge within the first 48 hours. Okay. And ideally you have twice that amount. Um, so that that's number one, have a really strong pre-launch list. Number two, uh, focus on the, you know, why, you know, the, the reason people would back your project is greater than just buying a bag. It needs to be about either two founders wanting to change the world or changing, changing an industry like what we're doing. I think people back people at the end of the day. Yes. So make sure that comes true. Be authentic, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and then number three is uh, definitely use paid marketing. If you're going to do crowdfunding, you have to have an element of paid marketing to be able to do what we did, uh, which is you know a campaign that's three hundred sixty thousand dollars. How how do you? What platform do you do you buy um, the traffic or you know um, yeah execute the paid marketing? That's that's uh, that's uh, going to be predominantly Facebook. We'll use a couple of other uh, platforms too, but you know it's going to be eighty percent Facebook and twenty percent split across other things. Gotcha. Uh, Facebook is by far the most efficient. Uh, the way we look at it, we think the next 12 to 18 months, Facebook is still going to be affordable. It's, affordable. <laughs> it's not cheap. It's not expensive. At but the it's moment, a, yes. Yeah. yeah. And 18 months from now, it's probably going to be very expensive and not affordable. But like everything else, there's going to be a new platform. I mean, there was a time when Google was affordable. Yeah. And I'm sure there's going to be three, four new platforms popping up in, in the next 12 to 18 months, whether it's Snapchat, Pinterest, or uh, any of these new guys, the, someone is going to come. So yeah. just you know, make sure that you use an element of paid marketing. Actually, what Jen and I do is we manage a lot of paid marketing for other crowdfunders. That's what's wow. allowing us to bootstrap. So we've, we've done that for a lot of other campaigns now. Um, and uh, they've all had phenomenal results. They've all been you know, north of six digits, and it's because they're using paid marketing. You guys should In put a course together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely agree with you. Facebook is now the number one discovery engine, you know, in the world. It used to be TV, um, but with the amount of demographic data brands have, um, you know, at the disposal with Facebook, it, it is just, you know, there's, it's a no-brainer for for brands. It's just quite fascinating how you map that, you know, to a crowdfunding campaign. Um, to, to gain traction, which which is fascinating. Okay, now I have another question with regards to the optimization. I'm quite sure listeners would you know would really want to hear this. Okay, so if there were like if there were like two elements, you, we can make it three on page, right in the content within the confines of Indiegogo or Kickstarter. Where should they spend eighty percent of their time on? You know, elements like video, your story, press, you know, press coverage. Where do you think you, you get the most leverage from from content within your listing on a crowdfunding site? Wow, that's a really tough yeah. question, actually. I yeah. I personally would say um, the video and testimonials. Yeah, I think um, that's, I agree. The, the video, because you want to, that's your platform for telling a story. And, okay. and that's a way that you can really engage with your viewers emotionally. Um, and then secondly, um, with testimonials, what we found was that a lot of, I mean, even with our web shop, what we see is that a lot of the people who are about to buy our products or thinking about buying our products 
will go to some other website or look up like linear bag review or something, and then they'll come back and purchase. And especially when you have such a high ticket item like ours and people are really, people have to put hundreds of dollars up front and then wait five months to get it. Yeah. Um, it it's so, so powerful to have somebody respected vouch for you. And, yeah. and the reviews are, are external, you, you, you said, Jen. So, so you want to sort of have that prepped out where you've given, you know, to, to, to other, to bloggers and, you know, to, to publishers who have published a review about your, about, you know, your, your product and then, um, so 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 search really prepped up with their content not you saying it but you know other people saying it is that yeah more or less yeah okay. exactly okay. and it, it's not something you know it has to be someone reputable yeah. it doesn't need to be a brand name like our reviews were not done by like ink you know or gq it was done by like really renowned uh people in the menswear community okay uh, and it just needs to be someone who is an expert who's not corruptible you know where you know mm-hmm. that they're doing 10 p- sponsor posts in a row and it's just cranking it out for money mm-hmm. it needs to be authentic so but, you know what jen said is you know video and testimonials but prior to that i would put at least 50 percent of your effort into product make sure it's a great product <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah you know, and it's just you know but i think a lot of crowdfunding people go in and they don't even they haven't even really mapped out small details like packaging and mm. And, and and these really essential things because you're selling something online and the only tangible experience is when you actually receive the parcel. So you just want everything to be flawless yeah. in that, that regard and make sure that you have all your bases yeah. covered. We have Even to talk- when it goes out to the reviewer, you know. Talking about packaging, we have to talk about the unboxing experience. Um, so I'm, I'm going to just put that, pack that um, for, for later. Um, okay, fantastic. Which is your favorite platform um, besides the money you raised, um, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and why? Yeah, um, we have a strong preference for Indiegogo. Mm. Uh, it's just because um, from a technical standpoint, the platform is superior if you're going to rely on paid marketing. So they allow you to put uh, a Facebook pixel on checkout, Wow. Okay. which is uh, really strong. So you can retarget, which is going to drive your cost of acquisition down substantially. Hmm. So that's number one. Uh, number two, they also allow you to manipulate your uh, page a lot more, so you can have your own proprietary design. Uh, mm. We, you know, without having to be forced to use the typefaces Kickstarter is limited to, uh, which is very important to us because that's all about brand. Um, number three, they also give you full control of uh, removing and adding perks throughout the campaign. Mm. Uh, uh, and you know, lastly, they have a couple of things that are really cool. Uh, which allows you to export the emails of your backers throughout the campaign, which you again can use for paid marketing or mm. communication outside the platform, uh, uh, which, to be honest, is a lot more convenient. You want to communicate with your customers by email. You want the ability to uh, just export data and parse it throughout the campaign. And like, mm. for, instance, for us, we were taking a snapshot every week trying to figure out what colors we're selling more so we could pull our leather order ahead of time. With Kickstarter, it's a nightmare. You really have to go and do it manually, uh, you know, copy and paste line by line. You can't export stuff, and Indiegogo has that. So they're, they're just like small details. Mm. It's just technically a superior platform. Yeah, and in our, in our experience, um, Indiegogo has superior customer service as well, um, oh, which yeah. is really important to campaign owners. When yeah, they give you a campaign know. specialist even. So yeah. that's that's huge. Uh, a very few people know that, but you could, if you're running a campaign on Indiegogo and you reach out you'll actually have a designated campaign specialist. Wow. 
So um, they, they'll 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 help you wherever they can and however they can, uh, which is a huge plus. Well, interesting. I was actually expecting you to say Kickstarter because you know Kickstarter has almost become the poster child for for crowdfunding, um, you know, in in the mainstream. Um, but with the control and from a um, from a seller standpoint or from a lister standpoint, I could see the flexibility and the appeal for Indiegogo. So, um, which begs my my next question: um, How and why? Who came up with the idea of? Um, you know, going for Kickstarter after Indiegogo. I, I've never heard. I'm, I'm not sure how often this is done, but um, yeah, is it is it typical in crowdfunding campaigns to 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 go on both? And how did you you know do it? You know, it's it's quite bold. Yeah. So I think in in the crowdfunding world, mm-hmm. there's this belief that Kickstarter has a lot more traffic than Indiegogo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably true. I don't know what the exact numbers are. Um, but after we ran um, a couple of campaigns on Indiegogo, we were thinking, okay, maybe if we went, did our next campaign on Kickstarter, we would get a whole ton of organic traffic from Kickstarter right. um, and that would really like boost our campaign. Um, what we actually saw was that we didn't get a lot of organic traffic from Kickstarter. And in fact, we, I think we got less traffic from Kickstarter because um, when we were on Indiegogo, Indiegogo has these um, sorting algorithms that promote projects or that really draw attention to projects that are doing well. Hmm. Uh, Whereas Kickstarter, it has a bit more of a random selection process. And we were never featured by Kickstarter, but we were featured heavily by Indiegogo. Mm. So we actually got a lot. Indiegogo actually helped drive a lot of traffic to our campaign and helped um, increase our, our, our pledges a lot. Um, uh, and were you getting sales on um, both um, your website and Indiegogo at this, you know, um, concurrently? Or um, was it just Indiegogo? Uh, throughout the campaign, the first 60 days, we mm-hmm. had it solely on Indiegogo. Okay. Um, so we shut off everything so we can pump the number on Indiegogo and Kickstarter to the maximum. Um, and as soon as the campaign officially ends, you know, and you don't transition to post-campaign sales, we'll okay. switch on our shop. Okay. Um, so that's basically what we did. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah. But um, back to Kickstarter versus Indiegogo, I mean... Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that so a lot of people choose to go on Kickstarter because they think there will be a lot more traffic there Mm -hmm. but really what we've learned is that at the end of the day you really have to drive all the traffic yourself okay okay given the fact that you you generate all the traffic through to Kickstarter why the Kickstarter raise more money than Indiegogo I think it was because of what we were selling so the Kickstarter campaign was um, us introducing our women's collection as Mm -hmm. well as a unisex weekender bag because there's the, a lot more on offer. On yeah, we're targeting women, you know. And, and um, I think I think the average woman owns something like nine handbags. Yeah, at least like some crazy <laughs> and, number. And uh, the average man probably owns like one, if even yeah. or two. It's probably going to be a backpack. Well, no, and then it's also number two is that we spent money on marketing. We didn't do that for our first campaign. The second campaign we really spent paid marketing. If you actually go on our kick track and you look at our daily chart, you'll see we only spent. We kind of figured out paid marketing after halfway into the campaign. Mm. And then you'll see this hockey stick growth where we turn on paid marketing fully. So, you know, if we could do that campaign over again, we would have spent paid marketing from day number one. Okay. Uh, and it probably would have been three times larger the campaign because we think we would have hit half a million US halfway in, which would have resulted into a lot of press. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things paid marketing helps you do. 
Uh, mm. uh, our biggest regret, if anything, it's not doing it from day one. Uh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd like to unpick the the, the paid marketing in on Facebook, which is you know, the primary platform. Um, was it visual, visually driven, or was it visual and video? It was uh, creative it was image. We okay. use image. We didn't use video ads. Video ads on Facebook are still um, are very very cheap compared mm-hmm. to uh, image ads, just because Facebook is uh, w- really wants to roll out video and kind of kill YouTube. Mm-hmm. So so you know they made video very very cheap. The problem is as a as a browser on Facebook, the journey from watching a video to actually clicking through. Is uh, is very long, right? Um, why would you click through if you watch the video and you're not interested? Um, and or, also the mobile yeah, experience. Mobile mm. experience. It's just it, they 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 haven't figured it out yet. Um, that's at least what we think, and we still think image is the best way to go. Okay. Were you guys Facebook experts prior to to the campaign, or um, did you have any training prior to the campaign, or was it pretty much just learns on 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 the go? Yeah, so both Jen and I have quite a bit of experience with paid marketing. Okay. Me from Rocket Internet, you know, managing the budgets. Mm-hmm. And we spent, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars per day um, at my old job. And, and Jen, you know, was heading growth uh, for the biggest international market at Square. Okay. Um, she was also overlooking, you know, uh, marketing budgets. Okay. So we both have a very strong understanding of the of the principles and the fundamentals of paid marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, this campaign was our first time with hands-on experience actually running the ads okay. uh, and, uh, and you know, with the creative and everything. Interesting. Um, so it was, it was a great experience. Now mm-hmm. we really know it. Now we run, you know, five, six campaigns on behalf of other people. Uh, managing their paid marketing. That's amazing. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's it's been it's been a real journey in the past four months. Uh, it's a platform we're very you know paid marketing is something we're very comfortable with right now. Mm-hmm. I would say we know more than the average uh, because we talk to a lot of people in the industry, mm-hmm. uh, and in particular for crowdfunding, that's really where we want to specialize. Your strengths, okay. You guys should should um, you know spin off a, an agency off the back of experience. Okay. Um, Right. Um, let's quickly talk about delivery times. Um, you, you you mentioned four or five month um, wait times. What was um, what kind of delivery times did you promise, and did you hit targets on both Indiegogo and um, Kickstarter? Yeah. So we we promised uh, four months or four and a half months. Uh, I think was it four and a half yeah. months? Yeah. So actually, with our Indiegogo campaign, we structured yeah. it so we had stretch goals. Um, yeah. So initially, what you could order was like a, a briefcase in black or cognac. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we reached a certain funding level, we said, okay, well, unlock two different colors. Um, and you can change your order to this if you if you want to. Um, okay. So we had this extra layer of complexity where we didn't know whether we were going to make the navy and mocha stuff until um, like halfway through the campaign. So we promised mm-hmm. initially that the um, regular, regular products would be... Um, sent out in, I think, three or four months, and then that the stretch goals would be sent out in five or six months. Um, and we tried to, we reduced the lead time by actually placing our order for leather mm-hmm. uh, before we knew how much we needed to order. So we just made an estimate and then um, committed with the, with our supplier so that they could get started. Okay. Okay. And, and you hit targets. Yep. Okay. That's right. Nice one. Nice That's one. Right. Okay, and what has Kickstarter and Indiegogo led on to, like repeat customers and you know raving fans? 
Definitely. Uh, it definitely has. I mean, we've gotten around 2,000 customers across the two platforms, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, all of them, I would say, are, you know, diehard fans. We get, you know, messages all the time from them. They're really happy yeah. with the product. And we've only had one return. Yeah. Um, wow. And that was because something couldn't be delivered in time for somebody's birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. For okay. someone's father's birthday, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've only had one return, uh, which is you know we're really phenomenally happy with that yeah. number. Yeah, um, yeah, it's been phenomenal. We we see familiar names pop up in yeah. our checking out in our store, yeah. and a lot of okay. a lot of past customers are now referring their wives, girlfriends, sisters. Exactly. Um, so there's the, there's that word of mouth engine going, just the product speaking for itself, and 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 the brand experience. That's right. Awesome. That's right. Good stuff. Because a lot of people, you know, focus a lot on the on the marketing and shouting rather than you know um, the core, which which is the product, and and then you know using you know marketing to as as a leverage really. Okay, let's let's go into um, who, who your target demographic and um, how did you identify them, you know, really quickly. Um, when you're both launching um, the campaign, actually, sorry, before before I ask that, um, do the crowdfunding p- platforms actually give you email addresses of um, your customers? Yes, yes, it does. They do. Okay, uh, Kickstarter at the end of the campaign. Okay, because you're at, on Kickstarter, you're allowed to cancel. They only charge your credit card until when once the campaign is over. Mm-hmm. So up until the last minute of the campaign, you can cancel your pledge. Okay. So throughout the campaign of Kickstarter, you don't get the email until after it's ended. Okay. But in the Google, you get it right on the spot. Okay. Okay. So you're you're engaging. You you have you know um, a substantial email um, database at the minute. Uh, I would I suppose um, from from both platforms. Okay. Right. Um. So so how did how do you sort of um, find your your target you know demographic um initially, and um, how did you kind of you know, identify, you know, your, your true fans, you know, you, you said this first year has been really the early adopters. Um, so, so how did you, could you talk us real quick through that process of discovering this, this core? Um, customers yeah. So customers? when we think about who our customers are, I think just broadly, we think of them as people who really appreciate quality and style mm-hmm. um, and people who aren't, aren't out to buy a bag because it has some logo on it and it, communicate some sense of status but who people who want to buy a, a bag because it's beautifully designed and yeah. um, and it's not ostentatious and yeah. um, they just uh, and and is high quality mm-hmm. um, and as for how we how we identified those communities early on um, I think a lot of it was finding online communities and mm-hmm. finding the, the kinds of blog like bloggers who um, really had the same values as us mm-hmm. um, and and connecting with them and, and their communities. Yeah, and and I came I came across some of um, some communities and some forums like um, press blog and um, style forum. Okay, um, what about the press? I've seen you in SF um, Chronicle, San Francisco Chronicle, New York Times, GQ, Detail Magazine, Wall Street Journal, and they're like, um, how do you guys manage your PR yourself, or do you hire an agency? Yeah, we do PR ourselves, um, yeah. and it's not something that we kind of sit down and focus on all the time uh, a lot of it unfortunately i wish we had more bandwidth for it um, <laughs> but a lot of a lot of the coverage that we've gotten has come through connections and i think 
that's, yeah, it's, that's just yeah. how it goes. That's how it goes. <laughs> if you're not working with an agency and we can't afford to work with an agency yeah, exactly. right now, it's, it's getting introductions to people, making yourself helpful to them, um, to reporters and bloggers yeah. as much as you can. I mean, we always, every time we talk to someone who admire, it's like, or like who we kind of look up to, we always end the conversation or ask the conversation like, okay, uh, you know, how do you get the word out there about the brand? Like, mm. how do you get press? That's often a question we ask. It's a formula we haven't cracked yet. We've talked to tons of journalists and they say they hate being contacted by agencies, but they accept them as middlemen, middlemen as in the industry. Mm-hmm. So we're, try- we're still in this position where we're too small to hire an agency because they are really expensive if you want to go for the top tier ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, between that and between, like, putting ourselves in front of journalists constantly, which I think we need to do our, our second year of business. Mm. It's quite interesting. Very, very interesting that, you know, um, you, you guys do it yourself and you've been able to, to get to, to, to top-tier publications. Um, yeah, good stuff. Okay, what about, um, how, how do you harness, you know, social media um, for, for driving brand awareness? Do you do, Have you started your paid, um, you know, social media campaigns or has have all your social media, you know, updates and um, promotions really been um, organic? Yeah, so uh, we most of it has been organic up to now. Uh, we've only spent paid marketing throughout our campaigns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we're doing now is we're, we're spending some uh, paid marketing to to increase brand awareness. Uh, you know, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this podcast is probably familiar with Facebook lookalikes mm-hmm. where you use your uh, traffic data. So you place a Facebook pixel on your website. Uh, Facebook will then know who's on your website and you can use that to find similar people. Um, so we're doing that to get, you know, create some more awareness around our brands. But beyond that, we're not really doing anything. Um, we're not focusing on increasing the likes of Facebook because you'll have to spend money to to have your post uh, show again. So we're very much focused on acquiring as many email addresses as we can. Okay, okay, okay. And direct sales, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, right. Okay, what about celebrities and brand advocates um, for, for awareness? Are, are you using any, you know, um, celebrities or, you know, Instagram models, quote-unquote, um, to okay. drive awareness? Yeah, no. We wish we knew some celebrities who would yeah. want to model our stuff. Even, even finding Instagram celebrities, I know. It's such a crowded market where... Uh, Instagram bloggers are expecting cash money. Yeah, it's and become very product. transactional. And, and it, yeah. um, our brand is really built on authenticity. And mm-hmm. it, it's hard for us to kind of come up with an arrangement that would work with people who just are, who really want to get, get Yeah, you're, you're right. It's, it's we, absolutely... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, uh, no absolutely transactional. Um, every, yeah. everybody who's, you know, gained traction on Instagram through, through a model or, you know, uh, you know, some, celebrity and Instagram celebrities has had to pay yeah. Um, yeah we understand the value that they they bring to the table um, it's just we need to find a, a good balance ourselves yeah and it's also it's it's very mercenary because we understand that they have to pay their bills giving them a bag wouldn't pay, pay, pay their rent right it is a job getting dressed going out there and getting photographed it is actually a job because we've done photo shoots now and we know how big of a pain it can be. Okay. Uh, that being said, though, it's really hard to go to an Instagram influencer or a blogger who's covering any brand that comes his or her way. 
and you don't want to be we don't want to be associated with uh, H&M someone who just dresses up in H&M and then carries our bag exactly. it's fast fashion versus slow fashion and it just, so it's just it's very hard to find that uh, find that balance and super hard to scale yeah. to be honest pa- pairing and association is really really important um, you know, yeah, yeah it really is yeah. and they can do more damage than good it, to it be can. honest absolutely absolutely there's a reason why you know Bentley and um and Brettling, you know, um, you know, join forces. Okay, right. Um, let's really move forward. Um, I didn't think the conversation was going to be an hour long, but um, it's it's that interesting anyway. Um, yeah, just being respectful of people's time. Um, just growing the business. Um, besides crowdfunding, how how um are you looking to well? How have you managed to, to grow the business so far? I know it's been one year. Um, the window has really been short, but um, so far so good. Outside of crowdfunding, what, what have you really, um, you know, what have you sort of latched onto and what seems to be working? Mm, I think next year of growth is going to come from A, paid marketing, okay. B, uh, adding, uh, you know, widening our assortment, listening to our customers and like designing stuff that they're asking for. So we, we're already working on that. And then number three is going to be uh, PR and, you know, non-paid channels, like trying to, uh, get the word out there by reaching out to journalists and uh, and and telling the story about linear. Okay, are you guys going to um, get any funding? Are you open to to funding opportunities? Uh, it's definitely something we don't want to rule out, but our imme- we don't have any immediate needs. Um, if we were to take on funding, it would have to be a strategic investor who's built uh, brands of similar quality or you know targeting the same persona persona as we're doing right now. Um, so, and we haven't come across an investor that kind of fits that criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an open question, we would say. Okay. Okay. It's an alliance. Okay. So now let's start out with um, what I call the evergreen questions. Um, they're really quick. You could just, you know, take um, a few seconds to answer them if you, if you like. Um, sure. So yeah, lightning round, so to speak, other people call it. Um, right. So what has been your best mis- mistake to date? By that, I mean a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. Uh, yeah. So we, um, w- in the beginning, we designed uh, seven SQ, uh, seven different styles of bags. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had a shotgun approach. We designed everything and anything that, you know, we saw as a core assortment in the men's category, bagged uh, for men's bags. But what we didn't drill down on was what we would actually buy ourselves. And those were the bags that actually sold the most. So I think um, what we didn't do well uh, with our first collection was staying focused and and staying on brand in terms of not just communication, but also in the assortment or the products. So that's, that's probably one thing we would have done differently. Okay, okay. Um, what parting piece of advice do you have for people considering using Kickstarter to launch their direct to consumer DTC commerce business? Um, make sure there's um, make sure it's a category that's uh, fairly large and defensible. Uh, you know, you see direct to consumer stuff all the time. I got an email from some uh, people who want to launch. Uh, a direct-to-consumer uh, French towel business online. Right. And it's just such a small niche. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of makes me nervous on their behalf mm-hmm. uh, on whether or not that's going to succeed. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because the addressable market is very small. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so so I think just make sure the addressable market is big enough. Gotcha. You guys are in a fifty billion dollar um, industry. What about existing direct to consumer or D two C ventures looking to revive their brand? What parting piece of advice do you have for them? Um, so revive their brand, Jen. I mean, I think it's branding is all about knowing who you are and uh, thinking about how you want to convey that. Yeah, um, I agree. So it's just going back to the roots and uh, finding your own uh, identity and making sure that flows throughout your video or your web page or your images or even your logo. Does any touch point with yeah. the customer. Exactly. Okay. What books or resources would you recommend to listeners from a personal development and a business standpoint or a business standpoint? For business, I really love Shopify's blog. Nice. Yeah. I, and I was I, on it today, I, actually. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's a great blog. They do such a phenomenal job. Yeah. Uh, my recommendation would be uh, Business Maharajas. It's a great book on uh, mm. uh, what, covering you know tycoons in India and their uh, path to to riches, basically. And it's 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 really cool. They talk about everyone from Tata to uh, you know other tycoons who started off at gasoline stations, uh, filling cars. You know, uh, so yeah, it's a great book. I just bookmarked it on my Amazon. Okay, <laughs> finally, could you let our audience know how they can find and reach out to you guys? Sure thing, yeah. Drop us a line at hello at linear.co. Okay. Uh, we're more than happy uh, to have a chat or, you know, answering in the emails you may have. Um, you know, we do offer marketing services for other crowdfunding campaigns. Okay. Um, so, you know, do reach out to us if you need anything. Hello at linear.com. I would link to it um, from the show notes. It's been perfect. A- absolute pleasure having you jen and roman on the show thank you so much for for coming and yeah our listeners would be appreciative of all the golden nuggets you've you've had to share on your journey thank you, thank you so thank much you. for having us cheers best of luck and yeah um, thank you again thank you for sticking to the very end of today's episode and hope you found Linger's crowdfunding startup story inspiring i mean 13 months on they haven't done bad they they've hit close to seven figures in in 13 months they launched through crowdfunding it's a very interesting story model excellence that's my principle They have shared a lot of tips on launching and promoting a crowdfunding campaign. Hope you picked up actionable tips really from from this episode. I'll share their details in in the show notes. Um, You just need to head over to 2xecommerce.com to download the show notes and read the full transcript of, of this episode. Um, on another note, if you haven't left us a review, please don't forget to leave us one on iTunes um, as it only takes about a minute and it does uh, a ton um, for the exposure of this this show. Um, for more updates on, on tips to help grow your store, be sure to sign up to our email newsletter. Um, the email newsletter I, I guess I only send out about three or four emails a month and um, one's about a webinar, others are about the show or, you know, really important tips I think will help you grow your e-commerce store, e-commerce business. So um, until the next show, Cadios. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.